This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge, your go-to podcast about, yep, you guessed it, the weather. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and this round comes to you from our Weatherworks headquarters located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me as always here in the Weather Lounge is my dynamite co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hey there, Mike. Hey, Brad. So dynamite, I'm thinking like TNT. I mean, when dynamite. you say when you say dynamite, it, I I feel like I the only vision I get in my head is um like the coyote trying to blow up the road runner. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that that's what I get in my head when you say that. So like the coyote hoping, that has like 100 lives. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that gets smashed every time in the old uh, Looney Tunes thing. But anyway, um, I'm assuming by dynamite you mean awesome, right? Yeah, I can see. Uh, what was that? What was that one guy's name? You know, I'm probably dating myself here. Um, what was that one uh, uh, comedy show? Dynamite. I can't remember. It. <laughs> I think I think you're before my time on that one. Um, All right. Yeah. Well, I was little though. I, I just I, I remember my parents watching it. There we go. So that's how I get away with that. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, anyway, uh, Brad. So you know. Let's move on to today's podcast. I mean, it's already getting close to August here in a few days. And, you know, believe it or not, bidding has already begun on some winter snowfall contracts. Yeah, it's hard to believe that four-letter word is already gaining traction here three to four months before the first flakes fall. But, you know, the upcoming winter, that's, you know, we're always looking towards that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we have our kind of a rest period here at Weatherworks, but we're always working for the winter. But, you know, June, July, it's okay. Well, now we're starting to ramp up again. And um, and joining us today is a return guest at Weatherworks, but he's never been on our podcast. He was uh, our guest for our July 2021 webinar called How to Build a Competitive Snow Contract. Yeah, shameless plug for our webinars there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so without further ado, let's introduce Steve Galizniak of Tovar Snow Professionals, powered by the Outworks Group. Steve, welcome to the Weather Lounge. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, happy to be here and uh, happy to be talking about snow with you fellas on a, on a July day. We <laughs> we were just talking about the, the heat wave across the country, and I think some of us uh, w- would probably wish for some snow at this moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if it did snow outside right now, I'd probably jump in a big pile of it. I was out cutting my lawn the other day, and <laughs> I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I could take much more of this. Um but anyway, Steve, um, you know, we were, we're going to talk a little bit about how to build um, competitive snow contracts today. And but before we get on to that, why don't you give us a little bit of background um, and experience that you have in this uh, snow and ice industry? Sure, absolutely. So Tovar Snow Professionals uh, was is uh, the company where I started here, uh, which was in business for about 30 years in the Midwest, uh, snow and ice management only in several states in Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, Iowa, and uh, Missouri. And uh, in the past two years, we have joined the Outworks Group, which is a, a family of companies across the country 
specializing core competency in snow and ice management on the commercial side, so retail, industrial, logistics across the country, as well as aviation uh, snow and ice management as well in major airports across the country. And in addition to that core competency, snow and ice management, we also, within our family of companies, uh, have abilities and companies that perform landscaping services, uh, commercial, uh, industrial, retail, et cetera, sweeping services, uh, catch basin cleaning, paving, et cetera, across the country. So um, Tovar being uh, you know, part of that commercial snow arm of the family of companies, uh, we're glad to be a part of the Outworks group. We have a, a, a vast reach across the company as one of the, the leading and largest uh, facility, exterior facilities maintenance companies across the country and uh, have a, a great group of companies uh, as a part of our family in various regions, Texas, Florida, Utah, the Midwest, the East Coast, um, that, that can service and, and be partners in a, a majority of the exterior services uh, industry. And, and we'll get into like the different kind, the different kinds of snow contracts because you mentioned a, a lot of parts of the country, and I'm sure they they vary in different degrees because snow removal, of course, varies depending upon where you live. But kind of a vague question, but I think I think you can explain it. I'm sure better than anyone else. So, what exactly makes a good snow contract? You know, explain to our listeners, you know, why a good snow contract is important and, and the extent of one for for the winter season. So that that's a that's a loaded question and uh, you know a, a bit subjective, right? A lot of different opinions, but uh, you know the the few things that you know come to my mind, Brad, is as far as what makes a, a good snow contract, is is a lot of it is around the the expectations and the scope of work to start with. So understanding in partnership as as a vendor. Uh, partnering with a client as far as understanding what that expectation is for that facility. Because as you mentioned, you know, depending on the region where you're at, there might be different things that are important to different people in different parts of the country. So in the, in the South, uh, a major component of snow and ice management is, is ice, you know, in the States, Tennessee, Kentucky, and some of those Southern States that see minimal snow, but they see a lot of ice that might be really important to them there up in the Northeast. We, we know the, the term nor'easters, a lot of big snow events, a lot of uh, inches at, at one specific time. A hot button there might really be, you know, how do we attack blizzard contingency and, and nor'easters? And, and that really not so much in the south because their concern is more of the freezing rain and ice because of the variable temperatures. Midwest, we talk about lake effect snow. You know, that, that's a, that might be a, a hot button there. So as far as regionally, really understanding what the expectation is, going into, you know, learning the site specifically, what what are the hours of operation? What what are the, the the main components of the business that they do, you know, from a commercial standpoint? What do they do? When do they do it? How do they do it? What are their expectations? So understanding that to be able to put together a successful snow contract and partnership, I, I think is number one. Uh, number two is, I would say, is equal risk. Uh, we, we talked about landscaping and, and snow removal. It's a great example, but very different from landscaping. So putting together a landscaping contract is more of a, a routine regimen service. So I, I can predict, again, based on region, let's say if we're in the Midwest, that we will mow the grass 28 times a year, let's just say, for example. We will mulch once. We will fertilize seven times. You know, we, we can predict that and it will happen on a weekly basis. Well, for snow, very, very different. As you know, uh, being a meteorologist, we're, we're solely reliant upon the weather and what Mother Nature and patterns should dictate. 
that dictates the services we provide. So looking at the contracts from a, from a setup standpoint, as far as that, that equal risk between the, the types of contracts that are best for the client and equally agreeable and amicable for the vendor as well. And those are really best discussed in person. Uh, you know, that, that's one of the, the components that we really like and, and prefer is when we have those in-person meetings face-to-face -face where we can really learn the client, they can learn the vendor, as well as touch, feel the site and understand the operation uh, on the property. So that part of it being a component to a good snow contract, I think is, is critical uh, as a part of the process. And then the last thing I'd say is timing. Timing uh, really in this industry is everything because we operate on a, a very tight window. So snow wraps up, as we know, in most regions in the month of April or so. Then we have May and June as kind of off months. And that's usually when we start to see a lot of, as you mentioned in the beginning, a lot of the bidding pro process starting. So there's a tight window between bidding, awards, and setup. So we have a really tight window. So the timing aspect of, of when a snow contract is, is put out for bid, when it is awarded and set up is, is extremely critical. So you got about a one month window to take a vacation then it sounds like. <laughs> That's about it, right? In the snow industry, you have about four weeks. Yeah, get, yeah. get it all in now and then it's right back to work. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that you guys start already in, in, in May and June, you know, thinking about that. I thought it was even more towards like, you know, July and August. Um, but wow, that, that's amazing that you're already thinking it's kind of it's kind of like how, you know, as soon as our winter stops uh, here at Weatherworks, you know, we start thinking about, OK, what kind of improvements can we make for the next season? And that starts basically right away in April, you know, <laughs> when we get out of season. Sure, absolutely. And and, you know, when you think about it, the the time and the window that we have and how important it is, you look at what we do in this industry and, and snow and ice management contractors across the country. We're, we're in business to, to keep people safe, to keep operations moving in the worst conditions. And it, when you think about it and put in perspective, the millions of people across the country that snow and ice contractors keep safe on a daily basis, whether that's employees going into uh, their facilities in the morning for work or leaving at night, whether it's customers going into a retail store, whether it's packages being shipped across the country and not delaying shipments and, and, and flights uh, that, that people have out of various airports, just how important snow and ice management is, it really ties into why those those few things that I just mentioned are critically important in that decision-making process when it comes to selecting a vendor and creating a contract. You're really, you know, important process for a client for six months out of the year from that, you know, call it November through April timeframe. You're a critical partner in their business to, to keep them operational, keep them safe and minimize risk. Yeah, I know at one point we had a guest on, Brad, uh, and they might have explained it, uh, the snow removal or snow and ice industry, kind of like an insurance plan for businesses and companies. Is that how you kind of envision that, Steve? I would. I think that that's a great analogy and a great way to think about it, because, again, going back to minimizing risk and liability, um, you know, 98, the Department of Labor reports that 98 percent of all slip and falls happen in under two inches of snow. So when you look at selecting 
you know, a vendor and, and also a service level. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to that point, I'm sure later in the, in the, in the podcast, but when you talk about service levels as well, you know, selecting what is right for that client and for that facility and their operation, um, making sure that, you know, that insurance policy is set up properly to ensure that, again, we are minimizing the risk for their employees and their operation on site. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just make the analogy of if you had to go to the doctor and you get sick, I mean, you have insurance for it, you know, so that when you do rarely get sick, you know, that you have something to help, you know, get you better. And that's kind of the analogy with the snow and ice industry. You have to have that snow. If you're dealing with snow and ice every year, you have to have some sort of vendor to provide that service so that when it does come to that point and you do get that big snowstorm, um, that everybody at your site is, you know, safe and, you know, <laughs> just like you said, there's not slip and falls everywhere. <laughs> what 100%. We, we call it a, a necessary evil sometimes, snow and ice <laughs> management. Um, n- nobody likes it, but we know that it's essential and it's essential to, to people's business uh, in most regions across the country in the, in the northern uh, above the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. And a lot of folks, you know, they, they, I mean, of course, you need the snow and ice removal to get the business running again. But at the same time, like you were saying with the, uh, uh, you know, the, the slip and fall cases, you know, that's the last thing you want is, hey, I'm open. All this snow is piled. But now you got to worry about also, you know, the, the, the slip and fall possibilities and, you know, keeping the, the walkways clear and things like that. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing. What I'm saying is I think it's one thing to get your business open, but then you also have to worry about the other stuff to keep it safe for everyone to come in. Right, right. Some of those, some of those things, Brad, that you mentioned that, that aren't uh, easily visible uh, to, to the naked eye, like like refreeze, um, black ice, um, you know, ice under underneath snow. Some of those things that are again under that two inch threshold that uh, just make up a critical part of keeping things safe on property. You know, sometimes we we always say we we love to see twelve inches of snow as opposed to two tenths of an inch of ice because you know twelve inches of snow it's visible. People see that they know that they need to be careful driving, walking in, in 12 inches of snow or when it's snowing at, at a, an inch or two an hour. But it, it's those times when when you don't know that the ice is there, you don't know that refreeze has occurred due to melt. Those are when you see a lot of the incidents happen and why it's important to identify what service levels are, are best for you and in your client and uh, and how to approach those those issues as far as how they want to keep their clients, their customers, their employees safe. And, and the one thing you were talking about before, and, and I'll tell you, before I started at Weatherworks, I never even thought about a forensics part of weather where they go back and recreate slip and fall, just like an accident with uh, you know the police and things like that. And you were saying about, you know, meeting face to face. And I guess that also will kind of show the people or your, the, 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 you know, the, the potential contract uh, that you're going to get where the shady spots uh, spots are maybe on a property or, you know, like you said, maybe some places get more sun than others. And, and now all that kind of ties into, to, you know, all these contracts, I would imagine. It does. It really does. And, and that, that, goes back to the the touch and the feel of the property. You know, when when we're looking at, like you mentioned, shady spots, north sides of buildings, areas that don't get a lot of sun, where to pile snow effectively in the parking lot, not only to their operation, 
but also in, in low-lying areas where you uh, potentially won't see a lot of runoff, a lot of refreeze that that will uh, essentially leak into key areas in the parking lot and on sidewalks and things like that. That's where, again, that touch and the feel of the property, doing that site walk before you even go into service level pricing and really uh, assessing and, and doing an x-ray, as we call it, the, the, need, the need of what's going on. Yeah, you don't want to see that 12-foot snow pile that's going to hopefully melt in the next two weeks, uh, you know, right next to the entrance to the business because you know it's going to freeze up every night. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and even even to the point where you're identifying even structural uh, situations on site too, not necessarily just with the parking lot, but you're looking at runoff downspouts and where they point and if things melt on the roof and where that's leaking out. We see that in front of doorways, in front of dock doors. So you're identifying a lot of those things. And again, you're doing that x-ray and and what is needed? How do we fix? How do we fix you? Going back to the the doctor's appointment analogy. So, Steve, you you talk about that, you know, that site specific thing where you're looking at all those little nuances of where you know the downspout is, le- you know, letting out water and stuff like that. Um, but what about from a just a, a meteorological perspective? I mean, I know a lot of people like to get uh, snow climatology, snow history. Um, you know, and, and start their contracts at that point. So they have an idea of like how many, um, how many uh, events happen in the, you know, one to three inch range and the three to six inch and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, do you factor that into a lot of your uh, contract planning? We do. And, and a lot of that goes into a, a certain type of agreement, which we, we call normally a seasonal or a seasonal all-inclusive agreement, where we're, we're looking at a type of contract where we're basing our pricing uh, and the client is asking for pricing based on a full season. So we're looking at that from the aspect of bidding the property without knowing what, what's going to happen during the winter and, and kind of assessing a price and, and labeling a price to the, the service for the year. So at that point, it really comes into play those climatology reports and average snowfalls for 10, 15, 30 year uh, areas, you know, looking at what is the average snowfall? What is a typical winter look like? Again, you, you mentioned how many one to three inch events, how many nor'easters, you know, do, do we anticipate are, are usually coming through this area, you know, of, of eight inches or more. So yes, that that is all critical information. And a lot of that goes goes and ties into even educating clients as well. So we can use a lot of that information uh, to kind of compare pricing models as well. So looking at uh, what we would call a per occurrence style contract, which is a, a contract that, that works based on the work that is performed on the site. So if it's a if it's a very light winter, a per occurrence style contract might not lead uh, to, to a lot of, of expense or cost to event uh, to a client because of a light winter, but on a heavy winter, it may, because a lot of snow equals a lot of plowing, a lot of salting, a lot of shoveling, et cetera. So, you know, kind of looking at those two and kind of bringing in the weather data to tie into that, to look at here's the last five to 10 years of history. That That is super, super important. And it's super, super valuable uh, to help someone make an educated decision on what's best for them. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of um, a lot of our clients ask for that information from us here at WeatherWorks, and um, you know I can see the the usefulness of that because I mean if you're going into a meeting with somebody uh, you're you're trying to get for the winter season, and you have that data in front of you, and you can show them and say, look, 
you know, here is the 10 year average. Here is the 30 year average. You know, here are the amount of ice storms that typically occur for your site. I mean, that's got to, you know, in both ways, help out the whole negotiation process from from them kind of almost trusting you as the vendor or, you know, that, hey, look, they're looking at actual data that's certified by, you know, a, a third party source. And, you know, it must give them some sort of comfort level too. that, hey, you know, they're they're shooting me straight here based on this information. Exactly, exactly. Extremely important because a, a lot of those, again, those decisions are predicated on the data. It really is. And it, it's all historical because, again, going into snow removal and into the year, nobody has that crystal ball. Right. We, we all we, we want to pinpoint it as best as we can. And part of that is your job and why we rely on, on Weatherworks in certain cases to, to help us forecast what does that winter season look like. But no one has that 100 uh, percent crystal ball that's going to show exactly what. The, the winter is going to be how many ice events, how many snow uh, events and or inches are we going to see this year? So a lot of that data that we have historically, it's all based on an average. And, and, and when we mentioned back in the beginning about risk, looking at the contract styles, you know, what, what, is, a, what is an educated risk on, on both ends that, that's equal for the client as well as the vendor uh, when it comes to contract styles and, uh, and making it a, an amicable agreement between both parties on what is best and what is fair based on weather conditions. So, you know, Steve, we started talking a little bit about the different kinds of snowfall contracts. Uh, there's, you know, per push, by amount, seasonal, that sort of thing. So we'll talk about the different types of snow contracts after we take a quick break and we'll be back to talk with Steve Glizniak from Tovar Snow Professionals. Since 2004, Crew Tracker software has enabled snow and ice management companies to save time, money, and resources with their comprehensive digital services platform. All the information needed to plan your operations and make business decisions is current and always available. Along with QuickBooks, Crew Tracker software provides seamless integration with WeatherWorks certified snowfall totals. Visit crewtracker.com to rock your game and learn how Crew Tracker software makes managing snow and ice simple. Take advantage of the SIMA Show Special $500 discount and White Glove Startup Service offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Weather Lounge. I'm meteorologist Brad Miller, and uh, today we have uh, Steve Galizniak on our podcast today. He's with Tovar Snow Professionals, powered by the Outworks Group. And uh, Steve, to kind of pick back up where we left off, uh, we were talking about snow contracts and the different kinds of contracts that are offered, not only by your company, I'm sure several companies out there. Um, so what, what, I guess, what are the benefits versus, you know, a per push or we talked about this a little bit already in the podcast, but kind of what are your uh, pros and cons with all these? Sure. The, the per push and seasonal contracts, Brad, are probably the most common across the country as far as a style of contract. Time and material is another contract that type that we see uh, not so much anymore. Uh, most of the the pricing has morphed into more again of a per occurrence style contract, which is it's just really based around efficiency and engineering the job for for the price that you're pricing it at, as well as a seasonal agreement, which we mentioned before is more of a, an all inclusive price for the year up to a certain amount of inches for the season. So the the pros and cons uh, for both, and and we, we talk about the the, the risk or, or gamble uh, uh, with snow removal, because again, s separate of landscaping, it, it is, there's a, 
an aspect of the unknown of what the winter will bring. But you know the grass is going to grow, but you don't know how much snow is going to fall. One hundred percent right. We we can we can anticipate the frequencies of a landscaping service, but again, the uh, the uncertainty of a frequency of service for a winter season is is a bit more of an unknown to us. So a per occurrence style contract is more based around the, the work that is performed each time it, it is uh, an action is taken on site. So that is solely based on you know the the winter season. You can take snow averages, you know, let, let's say from the past 15 years and, and base around an average winter. And of course, come up if I'm if I'm a client, come up with what an anticipated spend could be for that. But again, a, a bit of a bit of an unknown or uncertainty. Will we have an average winter? Will it be well below average? Will it be well above average? So um, it, there's a little bit more of a gamble with a per occurrence style contract. But again, the the benefit to a client is not locking themselves into a an all-inclusive price for the year, no matter if it snows four inches or if it snows 40 inches. So there, there is a, a lot of room for volatility, as we call it. And, and we, yeah, and we provide, you know, of course, our winter outlooks, uh, you know, we'll have ours out probably in October, like we do every year. And, you know, we, we have an idea and a good I think handle on what the pattern's going to look like for the upcoming winter. But, you know, October, we can't predict a snow shower that covers up everything on January, the night of January 16th and things like that. And so that's where the per occurrence may help out where places maybe see a lot of snow showers versus again, like you said, more, uh, other areas that just deal with more of an, uh, maybe an ice storm here and there. Um, you know, so again, I can understand, you know, the, the difference in the, in the contracts there. Exactly, exactly. All, all again, based on, on regions, you know, some of those southern areas that may see, you know, five to 10 inches of year a year may gravitate towards a per occurrence style contract, because again, the, the volatility there is far less. Right. All that may happen in two or three storms versus, you know, maybe 40 occurrences the further north you go or something with different types. Exactly, exactly. They may only see two or three events a year. So uh, to, to do a per occurrence or a TNM style contract where, you know, we may, we may need it, we may not. But if we do, we know it'll only be a handful of times for the winter season and we're okay because uh, the, the volatility there or, or the risk of, of what our spend could be is, is minimal. The, the average is, is low. Uh, but as opposed to, let, let's say, upstate New York, where you're in an 80 or 90 inch winter, you know, average there for snowfall. So that might be more of an, a seasonal all-inclusive style contract in, in a region there uh, because there is a lot more resources, labor, uh, equipment necessary uh, to perform snow and ice operations there, as well as a, a, a very uh, solidified uh, what, what we would call a guarantee that there will be a significant amount of snowfall being that an average is 80 or 90 inches in some of those areas. So again, it, depending on the client, uh, we see some nation, uh, some nationwide clients that have, let, let's say, hundreds of facilities across the country may gravitate more towards a seasonal style contract uh, to, to understand more of what their budget is going to be for snow and ice management for the year. It's a little more uh, of, a, of a solid number where they can budget to say across the country in all different markets, we know our spend might be between Y and Z. 
if it was a per occurrence contract might be a little different. Might they may not be able to really nail down what a budget like that could look like. So, so there's on a per occurrence side that that's kind of the pros and cons. Um, you know, those light winters for for a client might, might be very happy because they, you know, you feel you you win, right? It's it's a low snow year, not a lot of invoicing, not a lot of expense on my end. It may come in under budget, but on a really heavy snow year that goes above and beyond the average. I might, I might have anticipated incorrectly and gone over my budget at that point in time. So, uh, that's where that seasonal comes in, in handy. Uh, but as far as the, the seasonal side, talking about that style of contract for a moment, as far as a mutual agreement on, on risk there, we typically put a cap on our seasonal agreements. So meaning that is an all inclusive price for the season up to, let's say, for example, 45 inches of snow. So if I'm in, let's use Chicago market, for example, which is roughly a, a 36 to 38 inch average market for, for the year. If we have a seasonal contract there, we may put a cap a, a little bit higher than the average, uh, give a little uh, padding or cushion on, on some of those inches in case we do have a slightly above average winter. But we would give a, a seasonal agreement up to 40 or 45 inches of snow in that market, because that way, one, it's much easier as a, a contractor to anticipate the events that we would perform on an exact amount of snow, as opposed to an unlimited seasonal agreement where there is no cap and we would have to anticipate on our end that we could have an, a heavy winter. We could have a 60 or 65 inch winter. So I, I as, a, as a, a contractor and someone who is bidding work may have to anticipate that I may need to go a little higher than 45 or 50 inches. And again, all of that is it's, a, it's an uncertainty and it's a risk. I may have to go a little higher, but then that also carries a higher price at that point once we're budgeting to 50 or 60 inches. So for both parties involved in, in partnership, Putting a cap on those seasonal agreements is, in my opinion, the the best and safest way to go for both sides because you know what your price is, and then you also have a set price over the cap, knowing that if we went over the cap by three inches, I would have a set per inch price or a set per occurrence rate for every inch over that cap. So there, there's mutual risk on both sides. So Steve, I mean, not to put you on the hot seat here, but um, I could see uh, some places where you're bidding or if you're going with a seasonal contract i'm sure somebody has come back to you and say like okay so you're giving me a seasonal contract for 40 inches what happens if there's only 20 inches this year do we still pay the same thing like how does that work then i'm sure people have kind of asked you that question in the past sure and that that is a great question uh, if that is the case that that is one of those uh, th those gambles or risks that is taken with a seasonal agreement that if there is a light winter whereas a, on a per occurrence contract a light winter you know that well i i am going to come in below budget if i have a really light winter i will definitely come in below but if i have a light winter on a seasonal agreement I am locked into that 40 inch price so i i have to be okay from a budget perspective saying that I'm okay at this budget number, no matter if we see 20 inches, 38 inches, or five inches, I know that's going to be my budget number. So there, there's, again, there, there's that, there's that gamble. We, I, I don't like to use that word too much, but that's really what it is because it, it's an uncertainty. You're, you're basing 
You're basing your decisions based on historical data, weather information from previous years, because again, we, we all wish we had that magic you know, crystal ball to, to know exactly, and, and I'm sure you get it, we get it. Uh, what is this winter going to be like? And we love to throw that dart and hit a bullseye. You know, that, that's, the, that's the best feeling, uh, but unfortunately, uh, nobody can. You know, we, people can get close, but nobody can. I guess it just comes back down to, you know, to me, I I mean, it it feels like if I were getting services done, I'd probably want a seasonal contract. That way I know exactly what my budget is. Okay. I'm budgeting, you know, $10,000 for this, um, for my snow removal for the winter every year, it's going to be around $10,000 or something like that. So I could see the stability there, you know, but like we had the insurance uh, policy thing again, you know, if we kind of correlate with that again, yeah, look, you know, you pay the same rate for, you know, your medical insurance, right? And if you're not sick that whole year, you know, well. <laughs> hey, can you give me a refund on the? Yeah, was, nobody's was... going to give, you know, you don't get the money back, you know, but, you know, it's still there. But, you know, you might have a year where, you know, things just went wrong for you. You slipped and broke your leg or you did this or that. And, you know, hey, that year it, it really comes in handy. Right, right, exactly. And and even going a little further on those seasonal contracts, you you, you mentioned insurance policy again. You know, some of the, uh, the the work that we do is of a larger scale. So when we talk about larger scale, meaning a lot of resources, equipment necessary to perform that job. So if we're talking about let, let's say a, a facility that is uh, five million square feet, or or maybe even a, an air hub, uh, where where we have to have dedicated equipment staged on site, uh, and I'm talking in in the volume of, of not just two or three pieces, I'm talking ten, twenty, thirty pieces of equipment. Um, some of that involves some some upfront capital to be able to do that to where those seasonal agreements are critical to the success not only for the vendor but also the insurance policy for the clients as well. Um, there, there again that mutual agreement that we if we have to stage and or have x amount of uh, pieces of equipment and resources dedicated here um that that there is there is a, an overhead cost to that which is where that seasonal agreement again is mutually beneficial on both ends to have the insurance policy also fund that that insurance policy to make sure that they they have it staged there for the appropriate time uh, when we're talking about these snow contracts a lot of times you're talking about per push you're talking about per inch or even the seasonal thresholds and stuff like that where does the third-party snow verification come in in that uh, aspect of the service? Because, you know, I know that's a, a big thing that a lot of our clients ask for our certified snowfall totals. They want to know what happened in this storm so they know what to bill out or they want to set that threshold at 40 inches. Uh, what's your thoughts on, on products like that? I think that the third-party snow verifications are are critical to the industry, you know, for for a couple of reasons. One, we talked about the the bidding process and, and pricing work, extremely critical from the front end on on the historical uh, side of it. As far as in season and and receiving what we would call unbiased third-party certified snow total scientific. Uh, proven snow totals from the various areas or zip codes, extremely important for a few reasons uh, during the season one. It it tells the story of each event Uh, because being a snow contractor, when you're out in the event, uh, you know, it's emotional. You know, there's a lot of things happening. There's a lot of things going on. You know, 
conditions that that are happening on site and, and the work that's being performed sometimes is typically overnight where, where not a lot of folks are either awake on site being able to see what's happening how how many inches an hour is falling or the the 30 to 40 mile an hour drifts that that the, the, it's creating during the event or after the event so it's extremely important to tell that story uh, and we rely on that information uh, post events to be able to uh, kind of validate invoicing, especially snow totals to seasonal agreements. Uh, because again, going back to your point, Mike, to, to seasonal agreements, looking at inch totals, we are recording each of those inches up to that 40 inch cap. So having that certified data there available that that's not coming from the client and or the vendor to validate that certified total is extremely critical to the, the success of that contract. And then the, the last thing I'll say about that is extremely important to come to an agreement on a common ground of where that information is coming from in the beginning before the season starts in the contract process. Because we, we've seen in, in certain situations where if that isn't discussed, there may be different snow totals or different information coming from different uh, weather sources. And if that's not agreed upon ahead of time that between the client and Tovar Snow, that our certified snow totals will come from WeatherWorks. If that's not agreed upon upfront, that, that can be a, a contentious discussion in the middle of the season if you're not agreeing and hitting that head on in the beginning. So I would say that is an extremely important part and component to the process is understanding where that weather information is coming from. Because again, it is a very important part and component in that process in season is where is it coming from. And I think it's important too to understand that you know these totals um, that are put out in certified reports are not biased at all like we are looking at the facts here of, of the totals that we're getting from various observers around the region so you know even though you may see on your local news station hey there was you know 20 inches here we may have you know four other people saying look this guy's got 15 this guy's got 16 and a half this guy's got 17 to kind of discredit that 20 inch report. So, you know, it's, it's not the certified highest amounts we can find. It's the, <laughs> it's the most representative amounts and, and most unbiased amounts that we find. I mean, I don't win something for having the most snow around town. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you'd think it would be sometimes and some of these big storms, you know, it seems like I don't want to point fingers at any observer of any kind, but it seems like there are times when um, people are just out there trying to find the highest amounts they can possibly find. It's like, oh, that guy found 20. Well, I'm going to find 21. And, and my homemade Sharpie ruler doesn't it doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. So um, we've seen a lot of crazy things go down. And that's why we train our meteorologists to, you know, really look at that data and really analyze how the storm went down so that we can get the most factual information out there um, and, and not be swayed one way or another.
Right, right. And we, we appreciate that because while we, we love that guy with the, the Sharpie and the ruler, you know, finding the, the highest snow total out there, we know that that's not, the, that's not realistic, that that's not a, a scientific measurement. So relying on the experts to give us that, that actual scientific measurement. That, and same thing with weather reporting, that's coming from multiple, sometimes dozens of sources as a blend to give you what that actual total is that has a scientific formula based behind it. And, and, and in our defense at WeatherWorks too, I mean, again, we are the third party. We're, we're not we're not making more off of the snow removers and we're not making more off the, prop, the property managers. We're in the business to, to be fair. And here's the amount that we think, or at least with our research and data that we use here, this is how much fell on this property. Who removed it and who owns that property is, you know, again, that's not, that's out of our, jurisdiction basically so something um that um is new to our service that we're trying to get out there is something called verifreeze and what we try to do here steve is we're trying to capture those events where um refreezes occur after some snow melt or if it rained and then it dropped below freezing we're trying to create reports uh, for our clients about that so is how does that sort of thing incorporate into your contracts how do you know rain events that freeze or or snow melt events i mean i'm sure you have to account for that in some way or is that just like an all-inclusive type thing so great question it, it, it's imperative on, on both ends no matter what style of contract you have to understand those components and if they are a part of the contracts and, and contracted services that are agreed upon um, because outside of as we mentioned before outside of inches of snow there's also an ice component that that is built in and it's important to discuss what happens in in those cases especially when you have a a service level let's say that that is a trigger meaning a, a half inch trigger or a one inch trigger or some in some cases even greater to where service is is not uh, is not happening until we eclipse that trigger. So it's really important to understand the, the, the refreeze aspect, the ice aspect of what do we do in those cases, and also being able to forecast that. So, you know, having a, a verifreeze tool only benefits us and, and makes that process easier because as we look at that, we're, we're a 24 seven uh, company during the winter season, uh, for, call it from October 1st, all the way through the end of April, any months that it could snow. We are watching weather. We have meteorologists on staff. We, we are 100% in tune with weather across the country. So we're, we're looking at the, those different pieces of data, looking at precipitation, when it happened, what the air temperatures are, what the ground temperatures are, what are the chances at this point in time that that this could freeze overnight at a certain point when you know the temperatures typically do drop or get colder than 32 degrees? What is the ground temperature going to be at that point? Uh, as well as, you know, we, we talked way back in the beginning about the north sides of the buildings that don't get a lot of sun. So there is a there is a ton of guidance and, and information that that our operations team and management have to pour over. And a lot of that needs to be done, you know, boots on the ground on site to be able to inspect what we expect to see if that's actually happening and service is necessary. A lot of that can't be done from, from behind a computer. So we we rely on that weather information as the first step to tell us, yes, it's 45 degrees today in Chicago. We have snow piles everywhere. There is snowpack on the ground. The sun is out. We are going to experience a significant amount of melt today. 
in most of our parking lots, on most of our sidewalks. Tonight, temperatures are going to drop down to 27 degrees between 11 p.m. and call it you know 6 a.m. or so during the you know the coldest part of the morning there before temperatures start to slowly rise. We are going to need to treat for refreeze overnight. So we make sure that we have salt down and chemical down in certain areas where we are susceptible to refreeze and, and there's moisture precipitation on the ground before business opens at, at 6 or 7 a.m. and employees come in in the morning. So having that verifreeze tool is extremely helpful to us to kind of, again, just giving us that, that backup information that, yes, this is going to be necessary tonight and we need to deploy. I, uh, again, we're uh, talking with Steve Galizniak of uh, Tovar Snow Professionals, powered by the Outworks Group. And uh, Steve, as we uh, get towards the end of the podcast here, let's let's talk about Tovar a little bit. And 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 you guys offer different service levels, which I'm sure a lot of companies do. So kind of go through uh, what you have a silver and a gold and a platinum service. Uh, kind of what's the difference between all of them? Obviously the colors, and I would imagine one's better than the other. We, we do. Yes. We, we have three uh, core service levels that that we provide. And the the first, you, you were actually very close. You, you were right on with the platinum, gold, and silver. So the the platinum service that, that we offer is, is, is our core service that we've trademarked, which is a zero tolerance service. So in, in summary, from a zero tolerance tolerance aspect. Uh, we talked about ice and snow. That That is treating and, and deploying for any type of precipitation that would create slick conditions on the property. Okay. So if we're talking about uh, any type of uh, accumulating ice, any type of accumulating snow, uh, pre-treating is involved in, in our zero tolerance service. Thaw refreeze post-event is also involved in our zero tolerance service, as well as blowing and drifting conditions as well. Though those are some of the just the the, the X factors outside of uh, natural falling snow that are involved in our zero tolerance monitoring. So th- those types of services for our retail clients, for our logistics clients, a lot of our 24/7 facilities that require that around the clock monitoring. They're they're open they're open 24 seven days a week and and no matter what time of day or night, they will have uh, folks there as far as employees, customers, whatever uh, we're looking at as far as an industry, and we're treating and or plowing and servicing for any type of precipitation that could create those slick conditions. So that that's kind of our zero tolerance services, all encompassing in that in that uh, service level. And a lot of folks, you know, uh, a lot of our listeners may not realize, you know, even though when you get a snowstorm. You know, let's say you get a six inch snowfall for Chicago. It all comes in about four to five hours. But the storm itself for you isn't four to five hours. It's probably 12 hours or so, because, again, you got with the platinum service. You got to do the pre-treatment. You got to do the post-treatment. You got to do all the cleanup in between. So, it, you know, just because it snows for four to five hours doesn't mean that's all you're working. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. For, for a snow event, you're, you hit it on the head, Brad. Uh, that, that typically you can add at least four hours onto each end of the actual snowfall because there is prep time to, to get things ready and prep. There's pre-treating involved, as I mentioned, with uh, you know treating with, with either liquid or a, a granular on site and then monitoring to roll right into the event from there. For, because from a zero tolerance service, there, there is no gap, there's no trigger. So as soon as those first flakes start to fly, we need to be there ready to, to perform services from there and keep things open and safe 
throughout the event. And then on the back end, you mentioned the, the few hours after that, you have your cleanup. Uh, depending on the, the size of event and, and the expectation, there could be some, some removals and or relocation of piles on site uh, if there's critical areas. A lot of the times we see that in our logistics facilities and truck yards where there isn't a lot of areas to pile snow. So we know that immediately following an event, we need to either remove, relocate, or even a melt uh, because we do have a, a, an extensive and the largest fleet of proprietary melters uh, across the industry. Uh, we, we do melting operations as well post-event to include refreeze and all those blowing and drifting uh, conditions that we have to monitor and treat even after the you know hours and days after the snow has even stopped falling. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a lot more that goes into just plowing the snow and, and salting it afterwards. Uh, I could tell you that much. And I could tell you that much from experience, too, because I used to do some plowing work in the past in, in my other uh, job that I worked with a landscape company. And there's a lot more that goes into everything than just, hey, let's just plow some snow. <laughs> Right, right. I, I talk to, you know, friends and family members and, and you know, when you talk about snow, it's like, oh, you know, it snows, it falls, it's done and you clean it up. It's uh, <laughs> really. no, there, there's so you, you, there's so much more. Yeah. There, there's a science. There's a science behind this that uh, I can't even explain. <laughs> yeah. What about what about, uh, you know, ma- maintaining your equipment, hooking up to trucks and loading up your salt and, you know, making sure your spreaders are working properly. And- what 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 chemicals to use at certain times, you tech temperatures there. There's the there's a whole science behind this that and, and then of course if it's a long-term uh, event you, know, you got to think about staffing and rest for the staff and things like that i mean it's... i don't remember the rest for the staff when i used to <laughs> plow snow. let me tell you that much i remember sitting at a, a a local strip mall and just going like oh my god it's you know it, it's past 24 hours i've been awake plowing this storm you know maybe i could hide behind the <laughs> the store for just a few minutes to you know get a little catch yeah, a nap and then I'll, then I'll be right back out but then it you know just keeps snowing and I'm like I got to keep the front of the store clear uh, <laughs> you could arrest you could you could have hid behind the snow pile you just plowed Mike oh yeah sure and then when people are slipping and falling outside the grocery store you know I won't get any calls about that one at all Right, right. I, I will tell you how you know, I'm glad you bring that up, Mike and Brad, you know, how important that is uh, from selecting a, a vendor and, and how they set up their operation, you know, and, and that, a lot of that goes back to timing as well. You know, the, the ample time that you have that from a decision making process. So when from when a, a bid is, is, is put out uh, for RFP and or meetings begin to start bidding uh, to when a contract is awarded, it's extremely important as far as that timing, because a, a lot of that pours into not only we, we call it LEM labor equipment and material, um, you know that that L being labor as far as how we set up that site for success and and even going deeper the the rotation that we have because in some of these areas where you do uh, you and you are susceptible to some long long duration big events eight ten twelve and plus uh, you know inch events that are that are common each year 
you have to have that that labor and rotation and it, it's good to communicate that with your clients uh, because a lot of times when, when you see service failures uh, it's because the site may not have been set up properly with the proper equipment with the proper labor uh, to handle those long events you may only be able to get through six or eight hours or ten hours or so uh, if you don't have a proper rest plan in place a proper rotation for operators for drivers for sidewalk crews if you don't have that in place that's when you see a lot of the operational failures occur when it's just one not safe for employees to continue past 12 or 16 hours at that point in time and you don't have those backup rotations to, to backfill to keep the operation moving it's extremely imperative i could tell you from experience there's only so much coffee you can drink that it just is not going to matter after a while. <laughs> you're, you're still not going to be fighting off that sleep. So the rest periods and, and factoring that in are certainly uh, important. Um, Steve, I had a question that, you know, I, I'm, I'm curious maybe what your answer would be. Um, with snow and ice, with the snow and ice industry, what do you think has been the most useful innovation in the snow and ice industry in the last five years or so you know it could be from you know tech or equipment to you know software or something forecasts (laughs) (laughs) weather forecasts and technology is critical yes i will say that um a a few things come to mind uh i'd say the first thing you know if you're talking about the past five years you know the the challenge that has really been in, you know in front of us as snow and ice management contractors across the country has been labor. So anything that that from a technology standpoint or a mechanical standpoint that helps be more efficient and limit the need and, and necessity for multiple laborers uh, to perform a job it has has been just a game changer for our industry and you know a few of those things we talk about uh, one I, I, the, the first thing that pops in my head is is uh, a device we call as a snow raider uh, a snow raider is uh, if you for those who don't know looking at uh, everyone's seen a zero turn lawnmower you know a landscaper that's on a zero turn lawnmower it's a stand up and uh, and they stand behind it and they mow so a snow raider looks somewhat similar to that it's it's a stand up uh, machine and mechanical device and it has a plow uh, on it as well and it also has spreading capabilities uh, uh, some either liquid and or granular and it, it is just an extreme game changer to our industry the efficiency that one laborer or or, um, or snow fighter has on a snow raider can do the job of, of five to seven laborers in four hours or more, you know, depending on the, the the style of the property and the sidewalks that you're doing, if they're just long stretches. But that type of efficiency ha- has really helped the industry with the, the the shortage in labor, you know, and that's due to many things that the job market, COVID. There's a lot of things that have affected the, the labor market at this point in time. But uh, innovations like that. And, and the continuing innovations that are going to be of that fashion uh, to make things more efficient uh, and, and less use of labor is going to be extremely critical for our industry across the country. Um, two other things that come to mind, uh, one being melting operations. We, we talked about that uh, very briefly, but uh, when you're talking about limiting resources, limiting time and efficiency, 
uh, for some of the, the mission critical sites that don't have the space or airports that don't have the, the capacity to house, uh, you know, we, we call them just mountains and mountains of snow from 7, 10, 15 million square feet of pavement, melting operations uh, limits that that's one, the space and resources needed to melt snow. And, and basically, we, we, like to, we like to say, make it look like it didn't snow. Uh, it, within you know 24 hours of time, utilizing only two or three pieces of equipment as opposed to 10, 15, 20 pieces of equipment if you had to load and haul that snow to a, a different uh, location and or offsite uh, property. So uh, the melting operations for some of those large mission critical sites that can't have snow uh, sit on the properties, that has been a, a huge game changer uh, for us as we grow uh, in, in that space and continue to expand as the leader in melting operations across the country. And then the last thing I'll say is uh, any technology-based apps. Uh, as we all know, uh, most of our business in communication is conducted on a smartphone. Uh, these days, you know, I'll, you know, I don't even sit in front of my computer much anymore. I'll, you know, you're out and about and you're working from your phone. 90% of all emails are read from our phone. People want information fast. And even now going into 2022, a lot of work is being done from home. There may still be people at sites, but even some of the of our key contacts may work from home uh, 99% of the time. And, and, and even on those weather days may absolutely work from home. They're not on site. So to any technology-based apps where we can provide updates, pictures, pictures, you know, speak a thousand words, any type of information that we can get to clients fast and quickly to be able to inform them of conditions on site, show them conditions on site, and or validate even for uh, invoicing conditions uh, that, that have been taken care of on site. Technology-based apps are, are, are extremely critical and are, are growing astronomically uh, across the industry. Yeah. I, I think those are some great answers. And, um, you know, I think I speak for everybody when I say that the snow and ice removal industry has improved vastly over the last, I'd say, like 20 some odd years, because I remember storms here in the Northeast, some big time nor'easters like the Superstorm in 93 or the or the 1996 blizzard that happened here in the Northeast. And, you know, things were shut down for days. But that doesn't even happen anymore. Even if you get this two foot plus type storm roll through in a day or two, you're fine. I mean, it's like, you know, roads are clear and you're ready to go. Yeah. Like Steve said, he wants to, you know, make it look like it didn't snow. And, and like you said, Mike, it, 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 it definitely is like that now versus I remember growing up as a kid too. You're right. There'd be stuff on the roads two, three days later. And it's like, you know, it's not going to go anywhere until it melts. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we, we often have those conversations uh, pre-events when we have those blizzard conditions where, you know, we're, we're getting the, the questions of, you know, how will things look? How much time do you think it'll need, you know, as far as, you know, two feet of snow? And, and, and our response and our, our job for that matter is, is to have you open, operational and ready to go for the next morning. I can't promise you what the roads or any transportation getting you to the site are going to look like. But when you get here, we will have pavement and you will be ready to go. That, that's the one thing I can control, but I can't control anything else outside of, you know, your, your, your curbs and your property. <laughs> and Brad, I think you had one more question before we uh, end the podcast here. Yeah. Well, uh, one more question for Steve and then we'll, we'll let him go. Uh, but yeah, we're going to put you on the spot one more time here, but uh, tell us what you think your most, or not what you think, what are, what's your most memorable 
storm, whether it's ice storm or snowstorm or what have you. I mean, even maybe lake effect up there in Chicago. I mean, you get that, that wind right, you can get dumped on uh, with that northeast wind if it sets up right. You know, I, I think you both asked me this question last year, and I, I actually remember my answer. It, it was the Super Bowl blizzard of of 2015, but I am going to go with lake effect, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Brad, because uh, I, I think that is, and it's, it's a recent one from uh, a year ago in 2021, I would say in the Chicagoland area, uh, if you remember, and, and for folks listening who don't uh, have lake effect uh, that, that is in their area or don't live in the Great Lakes region, uh, you know, as far as what lake effect is, is, is winds that shift off the lake and cold air that is, is basically flowing over unfrozen or relatively warm lake waters, that moisture is transferred into the, into the lowest part of the atmosphere, creates clouds, creates unpredictable lake effect snow showers that could essentially at times and most times come down anywhere from a half an inch to two inches an hour. Boy, I think Steve, we should be hired as a meteorologist. That was a good explanation <laughs> of uh, lake effect snow right there. I, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. We, we should, he, he could be our Midwest consultant <laughs> when our, when our Midwest meteorologists are, uh, you know, out there forecasting for uh, that area. I, I got to try to impress you guys when I come on here with, with some weather knowledge, you know, I want to hold my own here. Um, but I, but I will say, uh, in 2021, uh, between the, the dates of about February 1st and February 14th, we had 30 plus inches of snow and, and the, the, the funny part and the interesting part, if people don't, uh, have lake effect snow, that's really involved in their area is the sharp cutoff of, oh, yeah. of what the that brings. ridiculous. With it, lake absolutely. Effect. It, it's it's amazing to see. Uh, we we have express major expressways that run you know through the Chicagoland area, and there's one 294 that runs north and south, and that that always seems to be the dividing line between 17 inches of snow and two inches of snow, and it, it's amazing that everything runs along that axis, um, and and as that snow came down, you know, in a span of 14 days, we we saw a 12 inch storm. And we saw a 17-inch storm both hitting the city of Chicago. And then, again, as you hit that gradient about 10 miles away from the lake, nothing. Sun out. But you could I have great pictures. You could see the wall of clouds as you look east. You could see the lake effect just from, from the standpoint of being just outside of it. Amazing pictures. Um, but the city was, it was shut down. It, it, they actually declared uh, a natural uh, a natural disaster. Yeah, state of emergency in, in Chicago after that second, because the 17 inch came in the second storm. So we had just gotten a foot and then a week or so later, another 17 inches in the city. So uh, created quite quite a gridlock for some of our, our regions and our folks that have, you know, uh, operations folks that have clients in those areas, um, which is a lot of our business. So we had a, a very busy two weeks, but it was interesting because we were able to shift a lot of our resources, even in for blizzard contingency, removal help post-storm, because when you get that amount of snow, everybody raises their hand and says, I need snow hauled off site. So as a snow company, you have to be prepared for that. You have to see that coming before that even hits. So we're able to deploy, uh, being that we are expansive and have the resources, anything outside that 10 mile radius, we're able to deploy into the city, backfill as a blizzard contingency, work the off hours when others got rest and be able to keep up with that removal and that cycle of the cleanup from those events. So that I, I'm glad you mentioned lake effect because that, that triggered that two week period. But I would say most recently, that is the most memorable. Uh, events. So, I mean, I think that basically wraps things up here for our podcast. So, hey, Steve, 
thanks a lot uh, for coming out and, and being a guest here on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Always, uh, always great to connect with you guys again and, and talk snow again in the middle of July. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're, we're one of the select group of crazy people that want to talk snow on, on July 20th. So it's a pleasure to be here that with you guys. And one of our meteorologists, uh, Simon Wachholz, can join you at the snow talk in the middle of July. Uh <laughs> He is a snow fiend. <laughs> he will go to where the snow is. If he could if he could make it snow every day of the year, he would do it. I promise. Oh boy. He travels he travels to see snow. <laughs> Wow, that 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 is a, you have to be pretty crazy to do that. Yeah, even I need a break. I, I don't wish snow all year long. I need a break too. No, I, I think he'd be okay with it. But uh, so, if Simon, if you're listening to this show, uh, shout out to you for being the most prolific snow lover that I know. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, we'll have a new podcast every two weeks here on the Weather Lounge. And also, please rate the podcast. This helps push our show forward. And don't forget to visit weatherworks on social media and as always find us at weatherworksinc.com so that's all for this episode and thanks again everyone for joining us 